welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, kind of had a gap week there uh, around the holidays, but uh, still going to do two for July. That's the plan is to do two a month, and we're still clicking along that way. Uh, I hope everyone that's in the States enjoyed a good Fourth of July safe and uh, enjoyed some time together and some celebration and got to blow up things. That's what we do around here. We uh, we spend a lot of money blowing stuff up. That's kind of ironic, but (laughs) it is what it is, right? I'm going to jump right into our discussion, our interview with Mike Sherman from Sherman Farms in Ashland, Missouri. And I love the fact that Mike has some pig farming in his history. So he he, uh, tells us a little bit about his grandfather raising confinement hogs and how he transitioned over into pastured hogs. So I'm not going to give any more away. We're going to jump right into that, and I'll catch you guys on the back of the interview. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. How are things in Missouri right now? Uh, well, we're a little muddy, but starting to dry out. All right, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you guys have much of a winter this uh, this year, or was it uh, mild? Um, snow-wise, we didn't have much, but I think for for about two weeks, we were the coldest place in the world. <laughs> Isn't it great living in the central part of the country? <laughs> yeah, you know? I think I think we were we were. Uh, in the negative teens, and it was like 38 in Alaska that week. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Oh yeah, yeah. So you guys got, you guys got what uh, punched Texas in the face pretty much. It sounds like then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was nasty stuff. Yeah, we missed that one somehow. That uh, when that started coming east, it hooked back up and went went north of us. So we uh, we dodged a bullet there. But all right. Well, tell me a little bit about Sherman Farms. Give me the 40,000 foot elevation of what you got going on there. Well, uh, my family has farmed, you know, various things over the years, and we currently have a 45-acre farm that I'm lucky enough to live on, and we raise um, we raise pigs, and we've got some land hens, and we've got some cattle that we do, and we are, you know, we've been conventional for a long time. I'm just getting into the pigs. It's kind of my project. But we've been, um, you know, just taking raising cattle and taking them to the market, and we're trying to move more now to farm to table, selling, you know, direct to consumer versus fluctuation of the market. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Good strategy there. So you you said family farm. Tell me a little bit about. It. Is this uh, two generations, three generations, ten generations? How long has this uh, farm been in the in the name? Uh, this particular farm is my dad's farm. And I think this would be, let's see, one, two, I would be the fourth generation on that, on that farm. Hmm. But on my mom's side, I think we're like the eighth generation farmers. Oh, yeah. Excellent. All from Missouri, I assume, or that area? Um, my dad is, and then my mom actually grew up in southeast Iowa. My grandpa farmed. It was in the thousands of acres when him and my uncle were, were in their prime. They did row crops. They raised, uh, they did, uh, if they're only 
confinement operations when that was the, uh, you know, when everybody said that was the way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do a little bit of farming up there in East Iowa, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, so it's interesting. I, I, I want to talk before we get into the setup, uh, the details of your setup. It's interesting there. Let's let's talk a little bit about so generational farming, uh, confinement hog operation. I think in your pre-screening information showed that your your grandfather was doing some of that. So how did you in in two generations transition? Are you are you getting any heat from that, or is is the extended family seeing value in what you're trying to do there? Well, sadly, Grandpa passed away in uh, 07. Hmm. Okay. He'd been out. He'd been out of the hogs for years when the market fell out i'm not sure what year that was and what i remember when i was a kid one of my you know vivid memories from being very little at his farm was sitting on the b17 with the grinder hooked to feeding feeding the hogs but um my mom kind of took a break from farming and then they she got married and remarried and inherited a uh, you know, inherited this 45 acres we've got now. And now, you know, me being one to get back into it, I think I've kind of sparked some of her. I'm definitely sparking some of her childhood memories with pigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she grew up, you know, going to going to school and coming home and going straight into the Fairland barn. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm making her dig up old memories and asking her questions all the time. Good deal. Yeah, um... I've got, I also got a cousin that uh, they raise show pigs and, and uh, show cattle, so they've been a wealth of knowledge, but yeah, everybody's, uh, you know, pretty interested in how this pasture raising turns out and supportive. And so so how, right. how long have you been on the 45 acres? Um, I've lived there for three years. We've okay. owned it for like 10. Okay, okay. So with that being in the family for, for a couple generations and obviously set up as more of a conventional farming, what, what type of infrastructure did comes with it? Was sounds like there's a house that you're living in. Did you have a barn? Did you have any other, any, any other large buildings there? Any type of infrastructure like that? Um, not, not really. We've got a hay shed and a couple little sheds that are kind of more for storage and parking tractors, lean-tos. But there is a... There is a little pond that I've got it got set up in a paddock, and then um, other than that, to be real honest, uh, the people that had it, or the, my grandfather from my dad's side, had it before. So it wasn't really a, didn't really take care of it that well in his later years. He let it grow up to cedar trees and stuff. So gotcha. we've uh, we've been using the Joe Salton methods with you know haying in certain places, and I'm gonna turn the pad, the pigs on on the areas we fed in this winter when I turn them out there this summer and let them turn that over and get us some uh, dirt going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it uh, sounds like maybe running cattle prior to in, in just now getting into the hogs. Yeah, yeah, we've had cattle on there as long as I can remember, but this will be this will be my second year with the pigs. Okay, all right, but good deal. So, um, so why pigs? Why why did you look? Uh, why did you look at that? And say, okay, cattle been working out well. Now it's time to bring on pigs. What was the the motivation for that? Well, when we when we built our house, we had to have you know the county ordinance was we had to have three acres to build it on, and with the where we had to put 
our lagoon. It kind of left us with about a half an acre south of the house that wasn't being used. And I hate to, you know, let land sit there and be just barren. So I initially had thought, you know, let's get a couple goats for the kids and and ask a buddy that used to raise goats what his experience was with it. And he was very adamant to not get goats because they're <laughs> out all the time and you're fighting parasites with them. And, and he said, well, why don't you get a couple pigs? And then I started looking at the pigs and found pasture pigs, and then it spiraled out of control from there. Yeah, <laughs> right. So uh, what did you what did you start with? Did you just just find somebody local? Did you go ahead and go with a specific breed you're looking for from your research, or how did you stick um, your time I went out? with Berkshires. Okay. And I had a really hard time finding them, from finding pures. I could find crosses, but I wanted to go with pure Berkshires first, and uh, ended up finding a guy finally about 20 miles north of here that had some and I got I got uh, two for two for us and you know one for us one for the folks and then I figured I'll just get two more and try to sell them and I no more than got them home and you know sent out a Snapchat of them because I was kind of excited and had all four of them sold <laughs> I went back and bought the rest of everything he had and within 12 hours I had those sold again yeah wow <laughs> so, that was uh, let's see. That was April of last year, so it was right when COVID. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was good timing. Everybody was looking to stock up around that time, so yep, worked out well. Okay, so um, so looking at that Berkshire, what what in your research jumped out at you that said you wanted to go with that? I just kept running across a lot of things that were you know really saying that the meat was the high quality and you know it's not something i never had a heritage breed you know pork chop or anything so you know, a lot of things were saying that was the best one so that's what i decided to try first yeah well since you sold everything have you have you tried any of your own pork chops yet oh yeah yeah okay <laughs> all right i was gonna say you know that, that's very happy so I always tell people I don't I don't stand out in the mud in the middle of the winter not to have bacon all the time so you got to make sure you keep some of it back for yourself all right well let's look at um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your setup so it sounds like you you've got a half acre right now that you you grew up that first uh, that litter that first group on uh, are you expanding that or are you still keeping them on that half acre this year or, or where are you right now in that um I was very afraid of pigs getting out, <laughs> and I'd seen people, right, you know, raising them with uh, electric fence, and I was, you know, awful timid to try that first. So what I did is I took a, a woven wire fence and I fenced the half acre off, and then I ran electric around the bottom of that. So it worked great for the first set of pigs, but now I've decided to feral my own. And that's kind of my winter sacrifice area, farrowing area, because it's, you know, the most secure. And then I've got a electric fence paddock set up to where I can rotate the pigs around the, around the rest of the farm after that. So. Okay, so you're, so you're expanding there, utilizing that as, as sacrificial and farrowing, and, and then just using, are you using polywire, using single strand, uh, hot tinsel? What, what do you, what's your setup with your fence there? I'm using a uh, double strand of uh, high tensile wire. I tried the poly wire first, and I kept having troubles with the you know the little micro wires in there breaking, yeah. losing losing 
losing its uh, juice down the road, down the road. So. Yeah, that's always been my experience with the microwire, especially as much as I move them and as many sticks in the woods that fall on them. It seems like they uh, are much more fragile than the uh, than the heavier gauge wire. Yeah, and I'm lucky enough that I I don't necessarily have to take my fences down, so I can just put a gap in and and leave it up. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of well, actually, kind of helps that keeps cows off of it when it's in you know when it's regrowing. So. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So, um, so you said that you, you wanted to start farrowing your own. So, uh, did you, did you keep a boar back? Did you go out and acquire a boar? How, how have you started putting together your genetic line? Um, I went and got another set of feeders and they had a boar that hadn't been cut yet. And so I went ahead and bought him. And then after I sold my, sold my, or after we butchered our last batch of feeders, I went and bought a, a big gilt from a lady that had good genetics. And um, a buddy of mine, actually, that had bought one of the feeders from me before, decided he wanted to raise his own, so he was looking for a boar, so that lady ended up having a boar, too. So I brought them both home and was like, well, you know, keep them here for a month as a as a delivery fee, and and then took him, took him to his house for where he'd be, you know, his permanent home. Yeah, but uh, that was in that was like the first week of February when I brought brought them home, and I came home Monday Monday night this week to surprise babies. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so <laughs> that, that guilt that I had bought was uh, bred when I bought her. Oh, okay. I was gonna say yeah, that that math doesn't add up, but yeah. So you you bought one uh, already seeded then. That's like uh, <laughs> getting pre-seeded turf. <laughs> yeah, good deal. So, um, so how many how many groups have you finished since April of last year when you first got into it? Um, I've just finished the one, and you know, the course when they were finished, that was mid uh, mid pandemic, and feeders were just damn near impossible to get to get a hold of, and so I fought that mess, and I finally found some. Um, I bought bought five feeders from a guy, brought them home, I lost one of those, I think it was just, you know, run of, run of the litter or whatever, and then I brought, I bought another Burke, Burke from uh, the guy that I got my first set of feeders from, and this was a bottle baby, I was really excited about her because she was just a sweetheart, you know, with, with, she would even sit and do, sit, sit down for a dog biscuit, <laughs> right. so my plan was to keep her for a, for a sow, and I don't know if the first group I had had brought something home, but she got real skinny on me and took her to the vet because they got was wrong and ended up losing her too. Oh, no. So that made me really upset, and that's when I just finally said, you know what, I've heard on on the, the podcast about Bob Security, and I'm just going to start on my own. So. Yeah, yeah it, it, adds, uh, it adds additional work and additional maintenance and all those type of things, but there is there is something to be said about having full control over that and and really keeping the front door closed when it comes to uh, new genetics or, or new issues showing up on the property. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so right now, it sounds like you've had uh, you had the surprise guilt that was um, that was pregnant, and she's already farrowed. Uh, so, is that uh, is that your only piglet you have right now? And then you've got. Am I doing my math right? Do you have another guilt that's ready to go soon, or? Um, no. In that in that second set of feeders, I got I got. Um... I got four Burks and then I got two Duroc Burke crosses. 
I was really, really pleased with how those Duroc Burt crosses are growing. Mm. So I went and bought another uh, Duroc gilt that I'm going to breed when she gets big enough. So yeah. I'll have a have a strain of pure Burks and then a strain of Burt Duroc crosses. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that uh, strategy. I, I've I've enjoyed Duroc. They're they're a little hard on our hillside. Um, I don't have them right now, but uh, I have been impressed with how they finish. So yeah, Duroc Burke would be a good good combination there. Yeah, I think uh, the day after I brought her home, I listened to one of your episodes where you had mentioned that Durocs are kind of crazy. I uh, definitely definitely agreed with that after that after the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, they finish great, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously, there's pros and cons of of every breed. That's why. Yeah, a lot of people like like the different types, but uh, yeah, they did finish well. Well, so what uh, what is the plan for for this year then? So you've got um, sounds like you're you're putting together your genetic lineup. Are you looking at are you looking at just finishing and selling that that surprise uh, litter that you got, or or are you are you going to try to get some breeding stock out of that? Um, I'm not sure yet on that. Just I'm still trying to develop develop my customer base which I haven't had any troubles with yet but I don't want to don't want to sell myself short and try to get big you know too big too quick so I'm just taking baby steps but I've, I like doing the holes in half but I think I am going to try maybe maybe with this batch to keep one or two to get made up in cuts mm-hmm. and try to do some farmers markets and things like that yeah, does uh, does Missouri have state inspected laws, or is it just USDA USDA or custom cuts? What? Yeah, we have state inspected. Yeah, so you can uh, you can do that and then stick your toe in the water without too much issue. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm not even sure what our closest uh, USDA is. I've looked looked a couple times and haven't haven't had anything close that pop up. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, that's an issue for us here too. We don't have anything USDA close by. So, uh, so you talked a little bit about your layout. I want to address that some more with your your infrastructure. So it sounds like you're putting up high tensile permanent fence with just some gaps that you can move them around. How you uh, how you taking care of your feed and water situation there? Um. Well, hopefully there's some beginners listening. Um, I know some people like to do ration feed, and I did that the first year with Berkshires, and it took. I think it almost took. 11 months to grow them to, to weight. Hmm. So I've since put out cell feeders, but I don't have the, the giant ones. I've got like the 150-pound ones. Mm-hmm. And I keep them, you know, semi-full all the time. That way nobody's going hungry, but I try to keep full, full. That way they just sit there and gorge themselves. Yeah. So maybe maybe learn from my mistakes. I know there is some some uh, good to rationing because I had a lot. My, my first batch was a lot more personable, but this, this batch is you know, grown significantly better. And they're still, they're still on, you know, plenty of pasture and they still go out and graze every day and lay in the mud and they don't stand around the feeder like you would think they would. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, I've got mixed emotions about both. I've done both. I have the big two ton drop feeders and, and man, it's, it's nice to kind of set and forget, fill that thing up and a week later, come back and address it. Um, but I, yeah, I agree. There's, um, I experienced in our situation, I experienced a lot of waste, uh, just because being on the hillside and, and it seems like they could always fling it everywhere. And, and uh, since it was always there, they didn't worry about cleaning up anything off the ground. And 
the rationing allows you to have that daily contact. And of course, we, we, we're now soaking and fermenting our feed. So I've, I've seen some positives from that. But, but yeah, you're right. If you, don't, if you don't get your ration right, you can end up having a light pig and then, then you're digging out of a hole there. Yeah, and if you've got one that's the one that's the boss, then then she pushes pushes everybody <laughs> away, and she gets big, and nobody else does. Right, right. So these, yeah. with these little feeders, I can I can kind of ration and and let them free feed at the same time. So yeah, yeah. See, in, in our situation with this with these hillsides, a, a, a 150 pound feeder would it ends up over the hill each evening, <laughs> just like everything else. <laughs> yeah. They just nose it over. So um, but for water for water, I just use the. Uh, poly barrels with the with the water nipples on them and haven't had any trouble using those other than they make a mud hole and flip them over after a couple weeks yeah yeah so you just are you just rolling those to your next paddock or do you have them spaced apart already i've, I've got a couple of them so i just i just leapfrog them and i can leave one in one paddock and move it to the next so yeah, yeah so so when it comes time to filling is that just transporting water with with a piece of equipment do you have hose is the pasture plumbed what do you what are your luckily Luckily, I haven't got far enough away from the house yet that I don't have enough hose to reach it. So yeah. that will that will happen in probably the next month or so. Oh, sounds like your land is decently flat then, I would assume. Yes, not 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 anything like you have. Yeah, yeah, that makes me jealous. You you flatlanders, you guys you flaunt all of your acreage close to your house like that. So <laughs> no, that's good. That's great. That's that's one of those things where. You're setting it up that you take all that into consideration, and man, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, uh, yep. drag a hose until you until it, your hose breaks, and then go get you another one. Yeah, I don't I don't leave it out there where they can get a hold of it because they've already torn one up on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yes. They've uh, seems like they'll chew up anything that you leave laying out or drop. I uh, dropped a carpenter pencil once, and they just devoured it before I got a chance to get it. But... <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a pair of uh, blue shoes in me try to eat them every time I'm out there with them. <laughs> All right. Well, so, so let's talk about, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, this year with your, your new genetics. So you've, you've got your Duroc, you've got your, your, your Berkshire. Um, you talked about maybe um, finishing out, maybe doing some cuts. Um, what do you think in the first year you're, uh, or actually into the second year, what do you think your, your herd size is going to be? What, how much, how many head do you want to have um, on the farm at any given time right now? Um, I think my max right now, with with how everything is in life, but I would wouldn't want to go over maybe thirty five or forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like your approach to that. Obviously, you weigh that with your customer base. That way, you don't have uh, the end of a grow out season and you're stuck with a bunch of hogs because you don't have a customer base established yet. Yeah, and the the, the uh, butchers around here are still hard to get in. Yeah, which not as bad as it was a couple months ago, but still you got to call and kind of play by their dates. Can't get the date that you want, so. Yeah, yeah, that we're seeing that still from from almost everyone I talk to. There's still that issue across the country of of booking six to eight to nine months in advance. Yeah, even booking something and hadn't hadn't even hit the ground yet is always uh, tricky to do. So uh, you talked about feed a little bit. What what are you approaching as far as feed ration goes and feed source, feed type? Are, are you you just going with conventional right now, or you you got plans to do anything different? I'm just conventional. Um, I've thought about organic, but I don't know that I can get it anywhere close. And so far, no customers have really wanted that. They think the pasture thing is just great. So, um, 
Definitely something I'm willing to look into, but I've got to kind of see what the market is for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and one question that pops in my head, and I know I don't ask it a lot on the podcast, um, you Flatlanders have more options, but looking at storage. So how are you handling that right now? So are you buying feed in bulk? Or are you buying just what you need for a week or so? Or do you have uh, substantial storage options on, on farm? Um, I have been I have been running to the feed store on Saturday mornings just because it's kind of nice for a little Sunday, Saturday morning drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> buying bag feed. But I recently purchased a, uh, a feed wagon and got... Got that. I haven't haven't hooked, haven't got quite quite got it going yet, but I'm gonna have them deliver, you know, bulk feed to that. So yeah, yeah. Get to, get to the point where it's getting too many bags a week to, to deal with. Yeah, yeah. The the older it get, the mess, the the less I want to throw around hundred pound feed sacks all the time. <laughs> but as far as as far as storage for anybody listening that wants to try it out, I used a fifty uh, five gallon barrel with a lid. Yeah. Well over a year. And I have a friend that uses an old chest-style deep freeze. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are the type of things that work great uh, for for the smaller herd sizes and things. And, and, and you know, it's, again, it's one of those deals that people have been using them for decades. You know, why change it? So when I know when my uh, number of head increases and you look at storage where you've got maybe 6,000 pounds at a time that you want to try to store, then then that's where it becomes a little bit of a challenge. I've been considering a um, shipping container, something that would be rodent-proof and obviously weatherproof, but um, yeah, don't don't have the luxury of the silo options around here and really wouldn't work well in our topography. Yeah. Well, all right, so um, so you talked a little bit about uh, you're, you're selling holes and halves and, and, and building your customer base. So your first round, it sounded like maybe uh, just friends and family were your, your first buyers. What, what are you doing now um, um, strategically to try to acquire new customers? Well, I've got a Facebook page and haven't really been super active on it, but, uh, you know, I just try to try to post pictures on my, you know, my personal Facebook and of the pigs and they're not, you know, they're not in a, in a giant mud hole all the time. They're not on concrete. They're not, you know, stacked on top of each other. They're always out in the pasture and I've, actually gain quite a few customers just by doing that because they can see you know how uh how happy the pig actually is and that how it's actually raised so that just just doing that and word of mouth has worked really well so far yeah yeah and that's that's where it all starts is just getting the recommendations and and people people passing it on letting you know that you got a good product there do you find that there's um is there much pastured pig uh, operations around you? Is it is it kind of a pig desert when it comes to that? Uh, there's no no other pastured pig around close to me that I know of. Yeah. Um, I actually have have gotten two people started on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So might might uh, take some of my market share, but I'm okay with that. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, two, three other farmers you know, yeah that's something you guys can work in conjunction more so than competition especially if you've got a decent uh a decent demographic of people around you it'll take you a long time to saturate that market yeah so uh mike looking looking forward beyond next year what would you say if you had to forecast like a five-year plan where do you where do you see this going as far as pastured pigs uh in general or or your entire farm operation 
Well, there's been been uh, some slight talk about relocating. Um, we do live in a in an area that is you know highly sought after land wise, so we could uh, move five miles down the road to a different county and and double our land. So it's been a talk in the family, but uh, you know with the with the pigs and the and the cattle, we're definitely trying to move toward you know getting everything farm to table. Um, selling direct to the consumer and having having an established customer base you know i've got i've got repeat customers already so that's kind of nice and they're they're now beginning to tell their friends and family so just uh just trying to expand and grow at a, at a slow at a slow pace yeah. so you talked about at the beginning there you talked about the the pigs were kind of your thing so do you have extended family that's helping you right now uh on the farm they're they're managing other aspects of the farm uh, my parents do. I mean, they live. They don't live on the farm, but they live five miles away. And we've got, you know, I've got three daughters, so they're out there interacting with them all the time. So it's just the, the pigs are my ideal, but everybody kind of helps, which I, you know, they don't require a whole lot of help sometimes. But getting them loaded and getting them sorted, you know, you know how that goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always a fun task. People love to be around me when it's that day. <laughs> yeah. Loading loading pigs is a lot calmer than loading cattle. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. I've 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 only helped uh, people a couple times load cattle, and and I'm uh, actually makes me thankful that I load pigs. I I kind of like the idea that the animal I'm trying to push around is you know shorter than my waist. When I start to stare them eye to eye, that makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, loading pigs. There's a lot more laughter, and uh, I would say loading cattle is a lot more not kid friendly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when you're talking about possibly um, selling out and, and moving to another county, so you could maximize your 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 dollars there for acreage, so getting yeah, the, I assume the parents are part of that decision as far as as making that move because they would, um, uh, of course, you continue to help with the operation in that other county as well. Yeah, yeah, that was actually actually my mom's idea. So oh, yeah. not something that we've uh, sat down as a family and fully decided yet, but it's something that's definitely up in the air. And- you know, definitely a likely possibility. Yeah. So, you, so you mentioned the the wife and the three kids, the three girls. There. Do you are you currently working a, a day job? Do you see this as something you'd want to do full time at some point, or is it always just going to kind of be a hobby side? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, an equipment operator, so I work probably fifty to sixty hours a week. Oh yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it's definitely something I would like to like to do. Maybe not as a full income, but maybe not have to work work as much, and maybe have the winters off. And you had made the made the joke about uh, you know, what was it? A successful farmer has a has a wife in healthcare or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, mine's been begging me to get a nursing license for the last two years. So <laughs> there you go. Something that's uh, could be a possibility down the road. Yeah, that's always a good farmer plan B is a wife with a nursing degree. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, yeah, I, I wow, equipment operator, man, that's that's a, that's a full day's work, and then coming home and, and taking care of your livestock that that that'll make you old quick. Yes, it will. Actually, uh, the night that we that I came home to pigs, uh, we had uh, grandma wanted the kids for the evening, so we were going to finish we were going to finish working on the chicken coop and 
cook herself a nice dinner and actually sit down and watch a TV show for once, and that went out the door quick. <laughs> yes, best laid plans. That's how it goes on the farm, definitely. All right, Mike, well, a question that I ask uh, everyone, as you're familiar with, if you've listened to the podcast, as we close up here, is what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Um, actually, I knew you were going to ask that, so I've been thinking about it. All right, good. I got, I've got two things. Um, one is just the community, you know, like people people in the area that are, you know, raising pigs, they're not necessarily, you know, pasturing them or whatever, but they're, they're always just so happy to, happy to help you. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a people, there's a couple people around that are maybe two hours away from me that could still technically be in the same customer base, but, you know, always, always one to offer, offer advice. I've had people, um, offer to come out and kind of show us how to, how to, uh, castrate because my mom, you know, my mom hasn't done that in years and we can watch all the YouTube videos in the world we want, but it's nice that, you know, even your competitor is willing to lend you a helping hand. Yeah. Good deal. And, but, yeah, the other thing is just, you know, watching the pigs grow and their personalities. And um, right now I've got I've got them in a paddock that's got a, got a big pile of uh, old manure in it. And they, <laughs> I swear, sometimes I look out the window and they're playing King of the Hill on that thing. And they just get the zoomies and get to running around and just, <laughs> just fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, man. That is so funny you say that because actually where I'm sitting right now recording this, I can look out across the valley and see uh, see the pa- one of the woodlot pastures where I have the pigs. And I kid you not, I was here working the other day, and they were doing that exact thing because there's a steep slope. It used to be an old log skidding um, section, actually, where they roll the logs down to load them onto the truck. So it's a very steep grade, but it's all clear. And they were literally doing um, king of the hill, knocking each other over in one one came down and bull rushed the other one right in the side and knocked it. And that thing probably rolled six times before it could get stopped. <laughs> and I just oh, sit there and watch them. They, they are hilarious to watch when they get goofy like that. Oh, yeah. They they, they definitely do that. I was watching them one day, and they were, one of my uh, Duroc crosses was just rolling some of the other ones down the down the bow, and they'd get right back up and do it again. It was just, it was just fun to watch. <laughs> you never get it on video when they do it, but... Right. For some reason, I'm, I'm the one that catches them do it all the time. Nobody else has seen it yet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Nobody believes me that they're out there playing. Right. Definitely. Well, Mike, if people want to find out more about Sherman Farms, where can they find you online? Um, right now, just on uh, Facebook at Sherman Farms. Okay. I'll uh, be sure to drop that into the show notes so you guys can, can check that out. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with me this evening. I... Uh, I pray uh, things dry out in Missouri and and, uh, all goes well for you. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, you take care. Well, all right. Well, I appreciate Mike coming on the podcast and sharing his experience with us. I pray you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Well, there's uh, not much going on around the farm. (laughs) Who am I kidding? Everything's going on. It's uh, typical summertime, right? I think I mentioned and teased in the last uh, last episode that we're on the downhill side of summer. So soon the leaves will turn, the snow will start blowing, and <laughs> then we'll deal with all kinds of different things, right? Uh, same old same old story, just a different environment in the process. All right, before I wrap up, I just wanted to say quickly, uh, give a shout out again about uh, Patreon. I appreciate you guys that have supported. Uh, seems like each month we get uh, one or two additional supporters. I appreciate that. 
and it really uh, really means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, we've I've got some great plans. One of the things that that's really stuck out to me, and I think I have it higher up on our tier, and maybe maybe we have to move that down. I just got to see if it makes sense cost wise, because there is a, a specific cost associated with it. And that is getting written transcripts, not written, obviously, typed transcripts of every podcast episode we have. And the reason why that's important, you may think, well, Troy, that's kind of dumb. Why in the world did you mess with that? Well, you would be amazed the amount of uh, you listeners that reach out to me and say, hey, uh, you had that guy on that one time that had was doing this and was doing that with Berkshire or was doing this with a certain type of water or farrowing structure or something. Can you tell me what episode that was? And I'm like, I got no idea. We've done you know almost 70 interviews now, so I, it's tough for me to keep them straight. I have my notes, but my notes, of course, aren't copious to the point of being uh, that detailed. But in my research, I've realized that uh, that there are transcription services we can use where hopefully they can they can discern my uh, my Appalachian drawl and and the um, some of the audio issues we have. But how cool would it be to have all the um, all the discussion in a transcript form that would become searchable. So the way we would construct the Pastured Pig Podcast website when we're ready to pull the trigger on that is we would have those episodes presented where you could listen to them there, obviously, but then also have their full transcripts, which would be searchable. So that would allow you to go to the website, search some uh, key key <laughs> some key keywords. That's redundant. Some keywords there and hopefully be able to find some of that information from episodes in the past. So that's just one of the things I'd like to do and, and kind of build a library there of our discussions. And then we can even possibly pull out tags. Um, I got to say my, 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 the nerdery side of my marketing business, uh, we can go in and start looking at um, using those, uh, those written transcripts. We can be able to start indexing the words and the words that we say uh, quite a bit can then even become tags. So we can start tagging those things and making them even more searchable. But that's just one of the many things I hope to add. Uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. And, and obviously we can justify the expense. But uh, be sure to check out Patreon. Again, appreciate the support of those that have uh, that have jumped in early and have supported even when there wasn't much to offer. And you know, now we've got some bonus episodes out there. We've got a couple more teed up and, and ready to go here soon. And some additional things I'm trying to bring to the list there. So I appreciate everyone's support and appreciate everyone listening. Well, I pray you all have a great evening. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.